Hello and welcome. Goeiemorgen en welkom. Jesus bids us shine with a clear, pure light. Like a little candle burning in the night. In this world of darkness we must shine. You in your small bubble and I in mine. Jesus bids us shine first of all for him. Well he sees or knows if your light grows dim. He looks down from heaven to see us shine. You in your small bubble and I in mine. It is good to be able to be in your bubble today. It is good to know that we are all together to see and hear that the Lord is good. Our candle is already lit, a symbol of the fact that we know and believe Jesus is the eternal light. Let's have a moment of silence just to be in the moment, to be here. together in your name we are we are humbled by the knowledge that that you are here to talk to us that we can listen to your voice that we can be moved by your presence by your spirit dear lord and we pray that that is what will happen just now we are we are thankful that we know we do not do not have to go through life alone we have to we don't have to go through this all alone even though we are scattered throughout the world in isolation and many countries, we are together as believers, as your children, as a family. 
dear Lord, thank you that we can ask of you to lead us, to guide us. Thank you for your presence in our lives. You are our hope. You are our light. You are the one. Thank you that that we can say that out loud, that we can confirm what we believe. Dear Lord, we ask this all in your name alone. The name above all names. Amen. The last couple of days I've had a serious case of cabin fever. I want to go somewhere. I want to experience something new, see something I haven't seen before. I've tried to do something about this. Um, I've spent some time on Google Earth. Um, that didn't help. It kind of made it worse. I watched a brilliant film, The Hundred Foot Journey, a movie that's set in France. That didn't help. The movie is all about food, so it only made us hungry. So then we made food, we made Japanese food, yummy, but nope. I still wish I could pack a bag, get some snacks, fill the car and go. Okay, wait, um, and tell Edward to get in too and then he can drive and we can go. I find myself wanting to go somewhere. Do you feel the same? So the last thing I resorted to to help me with this reminiscing was to think about some trips I've done. Somewhere alone, somewhere with friends, with family, some with Edward. I searched for photos and little videos we made just to relive some of the things I've experienced. Things I've wanted to do for years. Things that happened very unexpected. Things that surprised me. Places that I underestimated. Have you done the same over the last couple of weeks? Maybe you are busy decluttering or reorganizing cupboards in your study and you are finding and looking at old photos or videos of, of things you've done, taking you back to places you've been to. Maybe big trips, overseas trips, even just local trips to, to your favorite beach to the other side of town, to a tra train trip into town, reminiscing about places you have been to or, or where you'd like to go to. And so I decided to ask some of you about that, if you've done the same and, and if you have also thought about trips you've been to. So here goes. Hello from Neil and Annette. What was a favourite holiday of ours? Well, we always wanted to do a Southern Lakes tour of New Zealand. So in late 2007, we planned for a few weeks. And in February 2008, we hooked up the boat, threw in the tent and off we went for six weeks. Our first stop was Henma Springs. This trip was very special to us as we saw places in New Zealand that we had never seen before. We did it simple, found a camping ground and a site we liked, set up our tent, blew up our beds, then ventured out into the nature. We tramped, swam, 
went out on the most beautiful lakes in our boat, fished and met others from both New Zealand and overseas. Most of our holidays we document by making a simple DVD movie, like you're seeing now. Over this lockdown time, we have been getting our DVD, our old DVDs out and watching the fun times we have had with family and friends. Some of the places we visited, Hamner Springs, a day up Franz Joseph Glacier, two days on the Rootburn Track and the Kepler Track, Roy, Roy's Peak and Wanaka, so we got into tramping as well as doing the boating. Time on Lake Hawea in the boat, Lake Wanaka, Lake Rotuiti, and finishing up in Nelson Abel Tasman. Good morning everyone. After some debate we've decided to talk about our walk along the 800 kilometre Camino de Santiago in northern Spain. We both loved it. Even though I had an infected toenail after two days, tendonitis in both feet after 200k and had to give up after 300. It was an adventure, a real challenge and a cultural experience. Our planning was thorough. We trained by walking a lot, even into Wellington a number of times. We read the books, we had the maps and the right gear for a pared down life. And that was the great thing about it. We were living a simple life. One change of clothes, a bunk and a sleeping bag, basic food, not even a book to read or a phone. I did long though at times for a fluffy bath towel after having to use one the size of A3. On our first day we met four people who we walked all the way with, along with a few others who joined our bubble. Instant new friends with whom we shared the experience. This provided a change of walking companion, lots of laughs, some eye rolling, new insights, shared stories and the opportunity to help others. I even had some sheep's wool to help with blisters. And to be the recipients of kindness, whether it was a monk who was helping with blisters, help with Spanish, medical advice, or just encouragement to get up the next hill. The scenery is beautiful. The green of the grapevines and the bright yellow of the rapeseed is unforgettable. And the little villages with their huge elaborate churches that appear on the horizon are magical. It was a challenge for me and giving up was hard, but my overall feeling is one of gratitude for the beauty, the people, the opportunity, the learning and the camaraderie. Finally arriving at the Cathedral of Santiago de Compostela was a fitting end to this month-long walk. I attended the daily service there after walking in the steps of millions of pilgrims.
Well, it was really hard to actually think about which one to talk about because we've been really fortunate and have had many fabulous trips. Um, but the one we thought we might talk about was just over or about eight years ago in um, Christmas 2012 when we went to um, we went and had Christmas in New York. And it was the first time that we've left our mothers to um, sort of to fend for themselves over Christmas. So it was quite a big deal for us to um, choose to go and do that. But they, um, they were taken in by other um, extended family members. So they, they were fine. And um, so we went to New York and we went to Seattle briefly. And then we went to Canada and we had lots of fun times in Canada. And I guess the the key reason for going at that time and, and to New York anyway was because Kelly, our daughter, had been overseas for six months touring around the States on her own. She was 20 when she left and she went to kind of have an adventure on her own. And so she spent six months touring around the States. And so we hadn't seen her for that time. And so we arranged that we would meet with up with her in New York and we would have Christmas oh. in New York. So it was like, yeah, I guess my first experience of, of anything close to a white Christmas, Kathy would have may have experienced it in, as, a, as a younger person when she lived in England for a while. But um, yeah, it was pretty cool uh, having a, a cold Christmas. And I guess we went ice skating in Central Park on, on Christmas Day. On the, what? Out the rink they had set up there. Um, and yeah, it's just, just cool, really. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most experiences was, so we were with Cal, or she was with us, it was the three of us, and we, um, our kids had always been, um, had loved the home, the home alone. Um, <laughs> yeah. And obviously one of those was set in New York. And so one of our Christmas traditions is every year we watch those dreadful um, films. <laughs> and so to actually be in New York at Christmas time was amazing. And we went on Christmas Eve to a Christmas Eve service in a great big, it was like a cathedral, but I don't suppose it was a cathedral, a big, um, you know, amazing, beautiful brick church just near where we were staying. And my favourite, favorite um christmas music is oh holy night and the choir sang it and it was just the most magic experience sitting in this um cathedral in new york center of new york um listening to oh holy night which happens in um, the home alone movie and then when we came out it was just starting to snow and there were little it hadn't been snowing before and there were just little they were only tiny but you had to imagine them perhaps but there were just little snowflakes starting to fall and that christmas eve was really just one of the most magic amazing experiences i think of our our lives and then followed by um, ice skating in Central Park on Christmas Day. It's like, wow. <laughs> and then having Christmas meal at a, in a restaurant, which we never do that, we always have it at home. So it was, um, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty Yeah, yeah it's different to Christmas yeah. as we could have had. It's a perfect mix of holiday, I suppose, because we had time on our own somewhere amazing or with Cal, mm -hmm. and then we had time with my sister, and then we met friends, and then we um, went and saw lots of amazing, beautiful mm. sceneries. In 1978-1979, our family lived in the United States for a year in the state of Washington up in the Pacific Northwest. We, I was teaching and we'd finished school in about June and we had six weeks before we were due back in New Zealand. 
We had a Volkswagen camper and, and, and we decided we wanted to do a journey. We usually, when we plan our trips, are meticulous. We plan everything, make sure everything's booked, make sure nothing will go wrong. And, and we're, we're very, very careful in our planning to make sure that we don't get into any bother. Well, we'd read a book called Vagabonding in America. And the philosophy of vagabonding was entirely different from what we were used to. The philosophy of vagabonding was that you don't plan, you go as the spirit takes you, when you're ready, when you want to, and you stop when you're ready and when you want to, and you stay as long as you want to, and then you move on again to the next place. You don't know where you're going, so you're constantly surprised and appreciative when you get there. Well, we decided to give vagabonding a go. So we set off, that's our two daughters, Andrea and Judith, aged 9 and 10 at that stage. Nancy and I crammed into this little Volkswagen camper, onto the freeway, and south down the west coast of the United States we went. We soon ran out of cities that we enjoyed and thought, must be better places to go to. So we headed inland, and we found the national parks of the United States and Canada. We went to places like Zion, Grand Canyon, the Rockies, Yellowstone, the Grand Tetons, Glacier, Banff, Jasper, wonderful, wonderful national parks, 14 in all we visited. And we would pull up in our camper van and within minutes our girls would be off playing with other kids in the campground uh, we'd be making friends with people camping there. We would go to the rangers' fireside meetings at night. We'd go to the education programs. Uh, we, we, we used to have dinner and cuppers with, with people all over the place. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience and beautiful, beautiful country. And when we'd had enough of one place, we had a family meeting and decided we'd pack up and we'd move on and we'd stop when we were ready. And so we did for six weeks. What was the real value of this trip? Well, it was a wonderful family holiday. We learned so much. And not only that, we met so many wonderful, wonderful people. And we also proved to ourselves that we can camp for six weeks. It was really a wonderful experience. We have a diary that we've kept and we still read it. We took many, many slides and we've digitised those now. So we have our memories and we have the record of this wonderful, wonderful journey. Vagabonding. Try it sometime. Well, how lovely was that? Thank you for taking us away a little bit and, and taking us on a trip. The thing that struck me in thinking about all of this and watching your videos is that all these memories, they were all attached to these trips because we created these trips. In some way or another, these trips, they happened because we, we made them, we created them. You dreamed something up. You made it happen. Sure, some things happened to you, but you created the opportunity for things to happen. In a way, we are all creators. We are creators of our own life. 
our own future. We make plans. We save money. We plan. We build. We break. We remake. In some way or another, we create a life. And sometimes these plans, they work out. Sometimes it doesn't. And then we have to get back up and try again. Sometimes we lay flat on our faces for a while and then we go on. The culture of the day is that we are people who create a life for ourselves. We don't just wait for things to happen to us. Most of the time we want to create. It's in our DNA. There was a time in history, especially after World War II, where people only survived. What they did, planned, created, made, were mostly to survive. They were people who saved, held back, hold on to. They used as little as possible. Long after that sort of lifestyle was, was needed anymore, people still had that mentality. They just couldn't help it. But today, that's so different. We are people who want to make things and ourselves better. I'll say it again, we are all creators. And then something like this virus breaks out and this all happens and everything changes. We just can't be and do what we used to. We can't plan. And if we do, it's with more caution than ever. We can't create all the things we want to. We are so restrictive. We can't go to the places, see the people, or enjoy the entertainment we want to. Yes, we can dream of it and maybe plan if you're brave enough, but with some amounts of reservations about how and if this all will actually work out. It's so strange for us people who are used to making our own plans and doing our own thing to now be different. To now not be able to do it. I must admit I'm finding it very hard. It's hard not to be able to think too far ahead. To not know what will happen next Thursday or the Thursday after that. It's strange to kind of live from one press conference to the other. To hear our fate. To hear what's going to happen to us. I find myself thinking about when we will get our independence back, our freedom, the opportunity to plan, to create, the license to create. And so I've been trying to make sense of all of this. I've been trying to make sense of, of why this is getting to me. And I've tried to read and I've tried to listen to podcasts where people talk about it too. And one of these podcasts was a talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And this theologian, he was talking about the fact that Jesus had a garden tomb. And that when Mary saw him after the resurrection, she mistook him for someone else. So let's look at that and read it together. John 20 Early on the second day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. 
Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen laying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had risen from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabuni, which means teacher. After reading the scripture, I read somewhere, someone said that he finds it very interesting that Mary sees Jesus as a gardener. A gardener is someone whose job it is to create. He says when they meet Jesus there in the garden and they see him and they talk to him in this way, it's just this affirmation that Jesus is a creator and that for him it's all about creating. I've never thought of it that way. I mean... The scripture and the setting of that day, it can mean so many different things, and it does, but, but this makes sense, that Jesus takes on the form of a creator. It's only one week after Easter, one week after we saw Jesus come back, come back to life, to this world, with all of its wrong and bad and sad and all of its potential and good and wonderful. It's only been a week after the confirmation that things can be made new. A week after the affirmation of what it means to make a new world despite the darkness that's all around. For when we live through Easter, we see a man, Jesus, coming back to this life and yet again create something new. I read the story of him coming alive to create a new, and I hear this call to do the same. Do you remember the words I used a week or two ago? We are Easter people. We are people who should live and be formed through the theology of Easter. And yes, that may mean a hundred things. But it also means we should see the fact that Jesus came back to this life to create something new in this life. He came to make something new of this life with all that's in it. 
And yes, this world is difficult and it's sometimes sad and it's sometimes really, really hard. But that is what it means to be Easter people. To believe Jesus came to us and gave us the spirit to be with us in all of this. Through all of this. I knew this Easter would be different. We talked about how Easter usually is, what people usually do on an Easter weekend especially. And so I was ready for that. I accepted that, that it would be different. But what we didn't talk about is how different after Easter would be. Usually when we sing the hallelujahs on Easter Sunday, the world feels new and bright. I have this hope, this light for, for whatever is to come. But I didn't realize just how different the hallelujahs would taste in my mouth and how different it would sound in my ears. This year, I was still deeply aware of the fact that the hallelujahs we sang on Easter Sunday felt amazing. It was wonderful and real and full of promise and reassurance, but with this very strong undercurrent that everything is still not 100% okay. And as I know that there are a lot of people whose lives will, for the unforeseen future or forever be changed by COVID-19, I feel we have to talk about this. There are a lot of people who might also have this unsettling feeling. It may be fear, uncertainty, doubt, unease. And if you aren't feeling all of these feelings, I bet there are people in your life that are feeling this. And so what I wanted to say after Easter, post-Easter, is that there are people who say that when you reach a low point, when your life hits rock bottom, then it is one of the most meaningful places to be. Of course, you might want to cringe at the sound of this, turn your face away, then rather hear that the deep, darkest night might be meaningful, no, we don't want to hear that. Except if you already found yourself there. At the lowest of low places, then you will know. This might just be the place where new things can be born. Where new things can be created. I listened to a speech given by J.K. Rowling, one of the top booksellers of our time, where she said that just before she wrote her first series of the Harry Potter books, she was in the darkest place of her life. She was almost homeless, poor, just divorced, with a little girl, and then right there, on that point, at the lowest of low points in her life, she decided, now I write. It was rock bottom that became the foundation from which she rebuilt her whole life and rebuilt a whole new life. She writes how that was the point when she felt free enough to start the life she was supposed to be living, to become the person she has always felt she should be, not who, who other people expected her to be. 
there in the darkest of times when she no longer knew how long the, the long dark tunnel would last. She underwent the best transformation of her life, she says, and she started writing some of the most popular books of our time. There are these times in our lives at some point when we reach a, a low point where, where life hits you with one too many waves and the water is streaming over the sides of the boat where your own personal house of cards, it's just simply falling apart and you no longer know how to proceed. That you find yourself in the space where you need to hear out of the darkest of dark, Jesus came to bring light. When no one knew how they would carry on. When everyone was filled with doubt and fear and uncertainty, the gardener, the creator came to help. Now maybe your cabin fever takes on different forms than mine. Maybe what you dream about, think about, what makes you feel sad the wanting in your heart to go somewhere, maybe that's different than mine. Maybe what you want to create is much larger or way smaller than mine, and that's all fine. But what I want to say is that even if we cannot create, even if we feel like we cannot create what we want to create, at this moment, the biggest creator of all time is still at work. That's all that makes sense to me at this moment. How and when he will create and all of this, I don't know. There's no easy answer to this. The only answer I have is that the big creator is at work. Helping us to make sense of this mess. Busy making sense of this mess. This creator is helping us with wisdom and guidance and strength to do what we need to do to get through the day, the week, or the month. May this bring you some peace, even if it's just for a moment. But more than that, may this bring you hope. Hope in, in the fact, in the belief that he brought light to a dark world. And so he again will bring light to the, this dark world. For me, for you, for everyone who so desperately needs it. May we carry this out and share this with those around us. Because we all need some hope and light from the Creator who gives. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for moments like these. Thank you for, for moments where, where we can say how joyful it is to celebrate the good news of God's love, we can say we are called to be Easter people. Thank you for moments where we can declare that darkness cannot claim us, fear cannot bind us, because we are called to be Easter people. 
thank you that we again today can say Christ is risen, Christ is risen. May you be the risen one in our thoughts and fears, in the things that want to bring us down. May the words resound, Christ is risen when we are scared and alone and when we think for and pray for people that are affected by this disease and people who are affected by by the aftermath of, of this disease. Dear Lord, help us to to be Easter people who love in the light, who who speak of the light. Help us to be co-creators of a new life. We need it. We know the world needs it. May we have the courage and power to be who you called us to be. Thank you that we can ask this in your name alone. Amen. By this stage in the service, I would usually say now as you go out into the world. But now I have to say while you stay in your world, go with the words. Do not be afraid for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy of Israel, your Saviour. Amen. Thank you for joining our service today. Thank you for being here. And as I said, thank you for welcoming me into your homes. I just have three small notices. You will see on the order of service, there is some notices you can read through on your own if you want to know what's going on. But I just want to say, I heard a little good news that Bev and Jeff Donovan, they are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Congratulations, guys. It's wonderful. Uh, may this new year and your marriage also be full of new things and hopefully some good trips. I can only hope for you. Then to the, the Langs, thank you for sending us your music and for 
for being a part of the service. It was wonderful. And to Judith again for the lovely flowers. Thank you for also blessing us and being part of the service in this way. Have a good week. We will see each other again. Bye-bye.